Hello everybody and welcome to episode 101 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peak, MUFON Field Investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. And today we're going to welcome special guest, author, and researcher, Colin Saunders, to come on and discuss with us his 1999 family UFO encounter that involved a triangular UFO. We'll also be going over his recent new book that goes over over 130 triangular UFO encounters in the UK. So we have a lot of good information to go over today, so strap on them seatbelts, we're going for a ride. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 101 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peak, MUFON Field Investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. And today we have special guest Colin Saunders to come on and talk about his 1999 UFO family encounter, as well as his new recent book that came out, uh, going over 130 different triangle uh, cases in the UK. And today's episode is sponsored by uh, author and experiencer Kevin Briggs' new book, uh, Spiritual Consciousness, A Personal Journey, which you can go over and get at our website at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. So I'd like to welcome you to the show, Colin. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you, Jesse. And thank you for inviting me onto your show today. Absolutely. Um, triangle UFOs are a big thing today. And uh, it's nice to talk to somebody that's actually investigated them um, throughout your career and your research. Um, but I guess before we get into that, it all started with a family encounter you had in 1999. And you also have a background um, in avionics. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes, yes. I think it's uh, important to have a quick run through some of the um, career choices I've made in the past because I believe it has a, a, a bearing on the sighting and Absolutely. the information I collected from the sighting. Yeah. I mean, it's true to say at the beginning, um, I, I was not involved with UFO world. Um, I've got no particular interest in UFOs. I was just a, a normal chap going about my own business. Um, in my career, I've, I've always been a draftsman. I've always been into drawing. So I started off, I'm 65 now. I started at 16 as an electrical design draftsman. Uh, spent a couple of years in um, a company in Hinkley in the UK where we did um, machine tool control equipment. But uh, I moved on to doing printed circuit boards for a while. But more importantly from there, at the age of 21, I managed to get my first contract overseas and I went to work in Germany, in Hamburg. Okay. And I worked on the Airbus, the European Airbus, the A300 and the A310. Um, it's quite a few years ago, so they were the early Airbuses, and I was involved in the electronics and the fuselage, which was uh, manufactured in Hamburg. Um, when I came back from Germany, I, I spent some time in New Zealand working in the refrigeration in industry, spent 18 months there. Um, back from New Zealand, I, I spent the next 12 months working for Chevron Petroleum in Aberdeen in Scotland. Hmm. Now, that, that was a really interesting job because that involved quite a lot of flying. I went out to the platforms a couple of times. So there was um, a short takeoff and landing aircraft to get us from Aberdeen up to Unston, Shetlands, and then a large Sikorsky helicopter out to the platforms. And then uh, on one occasion, I flew between two platforms on a small uh, Bolco helicopter in the early hours of the morning in the pitch black. So it was quite a lot of flying experience there as well as um, some good engineering work that I did. Now, one of the things about working off seas, when, you, um, when you're offshore, you've got to make sure you do the job correct. You've got to go over the work time and time again, because once you go back to the drawing office on shore and you draw up what you, you've been to investigate, if you miss something, you can't go back offshore again and start looking at what you've missed. So that sort of training came in fantastic for the night of the, um, the UFO sighting because I took in as much information as I could with the close encounter. And as soon as I got back home, I started drawing pictures of it. And the very next day I started building models of, of what I'd seen. Um, so that was a, a year spent at che Chevron Petroleum in Aberdeen. And then again, from there, I went to Sweden. Now I've always worked contracts. So I've got a contract in Sweden. I ended up staying two years there working for Saab Aerospace. Now I spent a year working in the cockpit um designing overhead panels and center console with different uh, avionics equipment kings and collins navigation 
and then spent a further year working on the, the wings, engines, and horizontal and vertical stabilizers, but all again on the electrical side of drafting. And uh, the drawing office was right next to the runway, and we got uh, Vegans and Vegans, the early fighter planes that Saab built, taken off all day long. So what I'm trying to emphasize is there's been an awful lot of aircraft um, involvement during the course of my career. And uh, back to the UK, I worked for Portals in Coventry for a while before setting up my own business. Uh, I'm still self-employed today, I'm still drawing. I'm doing uh, embroidery designs, design um, digitization, origination of machine code to drive embroidery machines. So I'm still drafting, Okay. not so much on the electrical side, but I've been fortunate to spend my whole life making a living from drawings. I'm really pleased about that. And I'm just coming towards retirement. But that gives you a, a brief idea of uh, my working career and what I've been involved with. So when it comes to the sighting, you'll realize that the, the final model I built is pretty much an exact copy of what I saw that night. So if you've got no questions on the career history, we will move on to the actual sighting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that your background with, with your working history is perfect for this kind of this subject of UFOs, you know, uh, being able to understand what you're seeing and, and having some kind of experience with aviation the way you do is great. Um, but yeah, walk us through the encounter. Uh, give us the details of what happened. Okay, it was uh, the 31st of March, 1999. So it's been um, <clears throat> 24 years now. It still feels like it was yesterday, to be honest. I've thought about it every day since then. Basically, my mother-in-law was 72 that day, and we was going out for a bar meal to a small village called Paleton in uh, Warwickshire, in the Warwickshire countryside. Uh, there were two car loads of us. My wife was driving our car. We've got the mother-in-law in the front, and in the back was myself and my daughter, who was 14 at the time. So we've got my my daughter, my wife, and my mother-in-law, so the three generations of the family in one car. In the second vehicle was my brother-in-law, who lived next door to my mother-in-law, and he's got a French partner, and her grandparents were over, so the eight of us went out for this bar meal in the countryside. Now, the pub was called The White Lion in Pelton. Uh, we had a bar meal, nothing exciting happened there. And then we come to leave at around 9.45 time in the evening. So I remember we got into the car and my wife, like I say, was driving and my mother-in-law was in the front passenger seat. And I remember looking around at the Range Rover <clears throat> that my brother-in-law was driving and the old French lady was struggling to get into it a little bit and he was helping us. So we drove off, assuming they'd catch us up on the way as we went through the country lanes. <laughs> So it was about a mile until we came to a road called the Foss Way. And the Foss Way is um, an ancient Roman road. It's dead straight and it runs up to the Watling Street, which is another ancient Roman road, which is also perfectly straight. Now, as we came up to the Foss Way, somebody actually said, oh, we're turning onto the Foss now. And my daughter said, oh, there's been talk of headless horsemen down here. And we all laughed and we said, oh, well, keep our eyes open. As soon as we turned that corner onto the Foss Way, there, half a mile away, by the side of the road, were these lights flashing away, and we were all just absolutely stunned by the sight. And we were all going, what on earth are they? There's, there's no lights. We've been coming up and down the Foss Way for years, and there's no lights out in the countryside. There's not even any street lights. There's no lights whatsoever. But here we've got these bright red lights flashing away with a bit of white mingled in. And it's difficult to tell exactly what's going on but we're all talking about it excitedly saying it's too low to be an airplane and too many lights for it to be a helicopter and they're just white and red so it was exactly half a mile because i've measured the distance from when we turned the corner to where this, the craft was waiting <clears throat> now i say the craft we drove down to the lights and we stopped right next to the lights there was no craft there at this point there were just lights in the sky now i would say they would be a hundred feet away now, when I say 100 feet, I mean 100 feet. I'm good with distances. I've steered my friend's narrowboat on the Aspen Canal quite a lot. That's a 70-foot boat, and I've steered it through the bridges and things. So when I say 100 feet, I mean 100 feet. This thing was really close. These lights were really close. And we'd stopped the car, and we were staring at the lights. And there was four big red lights that the closest to us, and they were tilted at an angle to the, the earth. They weren't parallel with the earth. And I remember staring at one of the lights 
the um, the highest one of the four lights, but I could see all the lights mingled in with it and a bit of white mingled in. And the light had got <clears throat> like a crisscross effect on the surface, almost like it was um, a traffic lens. But I don't think the crisscross was an effect of a lens being manufactured. I believe it was a, a byproduct of the light that was being emitted. I've looked into laser beams. I mean, you, you look into the laser beam from the side, you can see it starts to create these little patterns. I think it's something along the lines of Newton's law of ring interference. So these, these lights, the four big lights at the back, they're emitting this red, very bright light that had got a crisscross effect in the light due to some sort of sinusoidal waveforms going on within, within the light itself. So it was incredible to look at. And as I'm staring at the light, all of a sudden, the sky looks like it's starting to ripple and it's rippling around the lights. And at that point, I thought to myself, oh my word, it's not just lights. It, it, there's something around these lights, there's something with them. And as soon as I had that thought, this craft materialized and it was just like on um, Star Trek, you know, when the Klingon ship decloaks. Yeah. It was just like that, right in front of our eyes. And it became this solid triangle, size of a house. I would say the base of it was about uh, 30 feet or 10 meters across. And as soon as it became solid, it rose in the air like a submarine underwater. It didn't move like a Harrier jump jet would move. It floated. Now, it was that close to the ground that if it tilted from the middle of the craft, the rear end would have struck the ground. It was that low. So the rear end stayed where it was. The nose floated in the air and the nose reared up like a, a horse, like a stallion. But in doing that, it revealed the top surface of the craft, not the bottom. Most people see the underneath of a triangle when it's flying over. We were privileged to see the top surface of this craft. Now, the surface, it looked like it was alive. It looked like it got liquid running up and down the surface like little. Um, the, way, the best way to describe it is like a lake at night that's got moonlight shining on it it's got a slight ripple where the moon's catching bits and bobs of the ripples okay. it looked like that on the surface of the craft it looked like liquid running up and down well it looked like it was running down from top to bottom but on top of this liquid were these beams that were interlocking silver beams and they were solid girders they were not um, moving so it wasn't a heat haze effect it wasn't electromagnetic, mechanical effect. It was definitely a liquid on the surface because the beams on top, they were not fluid. They were absolutely solid. And they were sort of interlocking like an old fashioned maze, like a maze in an old fashioned English country garden. And it was just absolutely stunning to look at. I mean, it was beautiful the way it had been manufactured. Um, now, my, when I talk about this, there's sort of two parts to it. At the moment, I'm talking about the nuts and bolts. Now, something strange happened at this point, but we'll come come back to that in a little bit, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. I want to, for the time being, and for the first 20 years of the encounter, I, I just stuck to the nuts and bolts, and I didn't talk about the, the weird thing that took place during the course of it. So once the craft, craft had materialised and rose up in front of us, I remember thinking, my God, aliens exist. Abductions take place. And this uh, is an answer to mysteries from history, like pyramids and things. Right. The three thoughts came straight into my mind. Now, unfortunately, my wife is very sensible. So she decided to drive forward. There was a gateway right next to where we would, where we stopped the car. She decides to drive put forward slightly so she can reverse into the gateway off the main road, even though there's no traffic about. Now, when she pulled forward, there was a large hedge and it blocked the view momentarily of the craft. And I thought to myself, oh, no. If it's going to go, it's going to go now. We reversed into the gateway, jumped out of the car, and sure enough, it had gone. Oh. But there, in the distance, going away, was the biggest flying craft I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of aircraft, and I've been to quite a few air shows. Now, this thing was huge. It was like the size of a football pitch. But the thing that struck me about it was the four red lights at the back, just like the smaller craft we'd seen a few seconds ago. And I, I remember saying to the girls, because we all got out of the car and stood there, it was, it was totally silent. You, you could hear a pin drop. It was unbelievable. There were no air traffic, no cars, just this big craft going away. It was huge. And I said to the girls, look, there, there it is there. It's um, changed size. It's grown into a massive craft. Bearing in mind, I knew nothing about UFOs. I realised later, after doing a bit of research, that it was what they call a mothership. And I think the small one probably went back right. to the mothership. But we didn't actually see that 
occur. So we can't say that was definitely what happened. So then um, everything seemed to go back to normal. Cars started coming up and down the road again. Not a lot of cars because it's fairly remote anyway, but aeroplanes were moving. So we got back in the car. It was 9.50 p.m. We checked the time in case there was any missing time. My wife did that, actually. She said, oh, it's 9.50, so I don't think we've lost any time. So we got back in the car, and then we drove home talking about it all the way back to my mother-in-law's house. Now, the strange thing is, when we got there, my brother-in-law, who lives next door, was already there in the Range Rover. But not only were they there, but he got the old lady out and the old gentleman, and they were inside the house having a cup of tea. So they'd obviously arrived home sometime before we arrived home, but they never saw us during the course of the encounter and they never saw the craft either which mm. seems peculiar so the next day you know i started um doing well very night the same night i did some drawings and then the next day i'd started my own business and i was working from home and i got staff working for me and we was working in the dining room but at this point i couldn't concentrate on business fortunately i got the staff to to run the business for me while i started doing drawings and making models of the of the ufo then scene um so then i built paper models for a start and then i decided to build one out of wood i got some dowling and built a triangular shape craft and printed off some pretty realistic drawings and, and glued them onto the surface the strange thing that um the last time i seen that that model i put it into my van that i was using for my business for carrying shirts around which was parked in the driveway of my house now, the van got broken into one night and they stole this old cassette player out of the dashboard, which was really no use to anybody. And I can't see why anybody would want to steal that. So I took the car to my friend, the van, to um, have the lock repaired. Now, he said to me it had been professionally broken into. He said somebody had done a really good job of getting into it and he couldn't understand why somebody with those skills would waste the time on an old van like mine to steal the cassette player, right. which was out of date anyway. You know, it was all like um, CD players by this time. But um, I came to look for my model, and I know the last time I seen it, it was in the van. It was definitely in the van. And I couldn't find it. It was gone. Whoever took the cassette player also took the model that I'd made of the UFO. And I've had a few house moves over the years. That model never, ever turned up. That, that model was, was stolen. So what I did then, then I decided to make another model. This time I made it a bit sturdy. I used dowling again and I got some plywood. Um, but this time as well, I got some flashing lights and a battery pack and wired it all up and uh, used coal draw to make some nice drawings. Um, yeah, I forgot to mention actually during my working career, I did become in 1992, I was AutoCAD user of the year in the UK, which shows my sort of involvement with computer aided design. So I did some wonderful drawings on coal draw of the surface of the craft. And I stuck those onto the latest model with the um, the lights and the battery pack. And it, it looked, looked fantastic. I'd switch it on, it would make me shake with excitement to look at it. <laughs> it was brilliant. Um, and I took that to one or two um, conferences uh, and uh, appeared on television with the model here in the UK and managed to speak to three million people, which was quite, quite scary. Okay. Three million live. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so then what happened next was I, uh, a friend of mine uh, got in touch with me. He, he brought himself a 3D printer. Now, the model that I made is, is great, but it hasn't got the lines coming off the surface in relief, the girders. I couldn't sort of achieve that by printing on cold draw. So my friend said he would make me a model, <clears throat> a 3D printing model, which he did. And it was great. And he got the girders on the surface and the lights put some lights in it got lights on the back and lights underneath the central white light and it, it, it was brilliant and he didn't charge me anything for it and he, he spent quite a lot of time and money making it <clears throat> so I came up with the idea that if I were to sell some of these on the, on eBay basically and sell enough for him would he make me a larger model with the liquid surface and the beams in a different color on the surface so basically a proper larger scale model okay which we did. So um, I, I went about selling all these models. He made them um, a flying saucer as well, and also a cigar-shaped UFO. And I was selling those. I was making no money whatsoever. I was giving all the money to my friend John. And in the end, we'd, we'd sold enough, and he made me this um, 
latest model I've got now. It's a shame that we can't see it here today, but it's it's like a about an A4 size model, but the surface reflects the liquid that the the craft displayed on the night. Ah, okay. And it's also got uh, different coloured silver beams raised up off the surface in relief. Um, I was sent uh, some drawings from a, a good friend of mine, Omar Fowler, a guy I got involved with in the UK who specialised in triangular UFOs. He sent me a drawing of um, a Belgium UFO from the 1980s, which had got these lines in relief on the bottom. This guy had sketched it as it went overhead. And these were sort of interlocking as well. And when I seen that, I thought, well, that's just like the surface of my craft. So I decided to use the Belgium sighting to make the bottom and use our, my own sighting of the night to make the top and the rear of the craft. So I, I believe what I've got here is a perfect um, replication of a true alien triangle. So with this new triangle, I decided to go and um, do some presentations. And I went to a conference last year in um, in Hull and I did a presentation it went down really well and I was chatting to a couple of guys afterwards then the Kinsella twins okay and they suggested that I uh, write a book a few people have suggested that along the way and I've never really got around to doing it. I thought maybe that's something I can do when I retire and then I thought well I've sort of got inspired by um, the Kinsellas and I decided I'd write a book when I got back and I sat down and I wrote a book. So I wrote all about my experience um, and also other people's experiences. There wasn't enough about my own sighting to really fill a book. So I started to put other people's encounters in there as well to get a lot of information about triangular UFOs in general. Um, so we released the book earlier this year. Like I said, there's a 130 different close encounters in the book. And they're all, they're all different. I mean, a lot of people will say, well, is this the TR-3B? Well, if you look at the facts, it's obviously not the TR-3B. They won't be sitting around in the countryside this close to humans to show you what craft they've got, you know, what technology they've got. It just right. wouldn't happen. And sometimes these fly around cities and towns, you know, rooftop highs. You wouldn't do that with a secret military craft. You'd keep them out of the way. Absolutely. Plus, Plus the manufacturing technique, you know, you've got, I've got 130 different craft in the book, but they're all triangular, but they're all different sizes, they're different colours, they have different lights. There's never really two that you can say are exactly the same. So somebody somewhere is manufacturing these, but as far as humans are concerned, we, when we build something like the Model T Ford or like the F117 fighter, they're all the same. You don't change, right. radically change from one to another. You've got to maintain these craft. You've got to have spare parts. You've got to have engineers who can work on them. If every single craft is different, you won't, you won't have a stand chance of knowing what you're doing. That's right. But obviously, somebody somewhere is doing this, but I have an idea where, and we'll come we'll come to that. Yeah, shortly. let's uh, let's go ahead and take our break, and then when we come back, we can we can dive into that. Yes, that would be perfect. Actually, oh. we'll dive into the um, high strangeness side. The yes, side yes, that. absolutely. Um, so let's go ahead and take our break, and we'll be right back after these messages. Introducing the new and sought-after book, Spiritual Consciousness, A Personal Journey, by author and experiencer Kevin J. Briggs. See the photos of what Kevin witnessed and links for the book at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com or in the description of the episode below. Again, that's Spiritual Consciousness, A Personal Journey by Kevin J. Briggs. Looking to get some UFO merchandise? We'll get some UFO Encounters Worldwide official stickers and we also have pins. Check out our selection, DM us or email us if you're interested for inquiry, and we'll show you our selection. All pins and stickers are $3 each and $1 shipping, or you can mix and match any five for $10 and free shipping. DM us or send us an email if you're interested.
UFO encounters worldwide wants to hear from you. Have an experience or a sighting you want to share? Contact your host, Jesse Peake, at ufoencountersworldwide at gmail.com today. UFO Encounters Worldwide would like to announce our brand new home at the UNX Network. Listen to us every Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to hear UFO Encounters Worldwide podcast. That's on the UNX Network. This is your host, Jesse Peake. Check out our official website at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. Read up on UFO articles, including abductions, close encounters, sighting cases, megalithic structures, and more. Also, check out our new Facebook group. You'll get updates on guests every week, new events coming up, and our schedule of who we're going to have on in the future. Again, that's UFO Encounters Worldwide Facebook group and our website at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the second half of episode 101 with our special guest, Colin Saunders. And uh, we were talking about the the kind of nuts and bolts side of, of, of your encounter that happened in 1999. Uh, but you also said there was a different side to it as well. Um, would you like to tell us about that? Yes, yes. Um, as if seeing a craft close up wasn't enough. As an engineer, I found it absolutely mind blowing. And um, you know straight away when you see these things, it's not from this world. Just you, you can just tell just the way that it uh, behaves and the way. That's right. The whole scenario is it's just so unreal. It's like being inside a movie for a short while. So for 20 years, <clears throat> it's been 20, approximately 24 years since the sighting. But for about 20 years, I just talked about the nuts and bolts because that was strange enough trying to convince people, although I did have a good response, that UFOs exist. But to talk about the weird stuff, um, I've only started doing that of late. And I guess the reason I'm doing that is because it's coming out more and more, as we will, we will touch on. So... To go back to the night of the 31st of March, 1999, at 9.50 p.m., as I'm staring at the craft and the nose floats in the air like a submarine underwater, or like an airship, and it rises up in front of me, I get the three instant thoughts that aliens exist, abductions take place, and this explains mysteries from history. All of a sudden, the best way to describe it is like somebody got a pair of binoculars and put them in front of my eyes because I could see the surface of the craft really close and I could see the interlocking beams, hmm. how they protruded out of the liquid surface and like, interlocked and the sort of the size of them and the scale of them. Then I get a, a view of the nose. Now the nose is so close to me, I can't see the interlocking lines on the surface anymore. I can only see this big gray nose and it was beautiful. I remember thinking it is so spherical, the way it had been manufactured. I've never seen anything like it. It was just, absolutely beautiful there were no um no burn marks no you know hadn't come through the atmosphere there was no indentations no wear and tear it looked like it just come straight out of a showroom and it was just like right in front of me this big nose and then there's a third view which was a side view and it showed the central core of the triangle was like a milky white color and it'd be a beam of about say, 12 inches thick that ran the length of the craft the top surface of the craft and the bottom surface of the craft joined onto this central white core and the top and the bottom were the edges were rolled over like a hovercraft uh, skin or like a pastry on a pie around the outside they were rolled over onto this central white core now where they joined there was no nuts and bolts there was no welding there were no rivets the way it had been put together was absolutely incredible and then i remember being back in the car shouting let's get out let's get out i want to get on board and uh, my mother-in-law wanted to get on board as well we were so excited but we jumped out and of course it was gone it was just at the point where um my wife drove forward and we lost view of it it was just before that that i'd got these close views now the next day we're chatting about this and i'm saying that 
I believe I've had an out-of-body experience, as if the encounter wasn't enough and mind-blowing enough, I think I've had an out-of-body experience. And, and I started to research that because how else could I have seen the craft so close up? So I went down this route of reading books on out-of-body experiences and trying to do it again, but I never seemed to be able to do it. And then, quite some time ago, I met a guy, or I'm sure you'll all know, called Bud Hopkins. Yes. The late Bud Hopkins. Now, he was doing a presentation over here in the UK. Now, I met a lot of people um, present at these conferences that he used to do in Leeds, like Stanton Freeman and uh, Dr. Roger Lear. I met those. I met Stephen Greer. Excellent. Etc. Um, but Bud Hopkins, I managed to get five minutes. There was a queue of people wanting to chat to him. So I told Bud about the out-of-body experience during the close encounter with the triangle. He said to me, now nah, he says, no, nah, that, that wasn't an out-of-body experience. They were images placed in your mind by the aliens on board the craft. And just as he said that, this woman barged in and says, oh, Bob, I found this crystal near a UFO sighting in the forest. And that he started talking to her because he was polite, you know what I mean? And right. that was the end of my five minutes. So I came away even more confused thinking, I bet. Why would, why would they place images in my mind when I'm standing right next to the craft? But then you realise that um, <clears throat> without those close views, I wouldn't have been able to build an accurate craft that I've got today. I would have struggled without seeing that central piece where the top and the bottom were rolled over together. So, so what happened next? Uh, I'll put it to the back of my mind. I put it on a list of things that were happening. I haven't touched on that, have I, actually? After the UFO event, I started to have um, paranormal events. I started to have like ghostly things happen. Now, I've never had anything in my life prior to this. But after the UFO event, I was starting to see all sorts of things. I've seen other craft, but more of a distance, doing odd things in the sky. But I also um, I had an encounter with them. Um, <laughs> this is, this, this is going to sound crazy. We'll come back to Bud Hopkins in a minute. But just to tell you, like, I've kept a list of everything that went on after the UFO event because there were so many things happening. Well, on one occasion, I was fishing down the River Saw uh, in Rothley in Leicestershire, and I was in this field on my own fishing, and I heard four footsteps coming across the field quite loud. Now, I thought it was people down there shooting, the farm workers, so I thought I'd go up and make myself known to whoever was there so I don't shoot in my direction. So I climbed up the riverbank, and the noise continued, but there was nobody there, and it was getting closer and closer now. I started to think it was a big cat. My mind doesn't jump to paranormal straight away. It always goes with more logical things. So I think there's right. a big cat coming towards me. So I take a spike out of my rod oil that I use for my umbrella to protect myself with. And um, this thing, whatever it was, it walked in front of me from left to right. But it didn't move any blade of grass or any twigs or anything. Just four footsteps and then it faded away. And I stood there and I thought, that wasn't a cat. That was something that's not here, but somewhere else. And it sounds strange, Jesse, but that was the day that I decided that I realised that all these things obviously were coming from the UFO, but because of that, the UFO was actually interdimensional because it had left some sort of residue with me that was letting these other things come through. Now, if this craft had come like from, from Mars, it would, I would have seen it, it would have gone away again, and then life would have returned to normal. But that wasn't happening. They call it the hitchhiker effect. Yes. When people have close encounters, they go on to have other close, close encounters or other effects. Um, so just to quickly go back to the Bud Hopkins theory, what happened then was um, out of the blue, I got an email from a guy in America from Connecticut who's never reported his case to anybody, not reported to MUFON or anything like that. He's just kept it to himself. And as far as I'm aware, I'm the only person he spoke to about it. He said the triangle, he could see this triangle, he stopped his car. The triangle came down really close to him. And then he says in his email, just like you, I had three images placed in my mind. And there were three close up views of the craft showing him the two were external views. And one of them he believes was an internal view of the craft whilst he was sitting in his car. Now that, when I, when I read that, it was like a eureka moment. It suddenly all became clear. I'd been um, listening to a lot of uh, Dr. David Jacobs stuff on abductees because he'd interviewed a lot of abductees and they talk about telepathy all the time. Yes. 
But telepathy doesn't necessarily mean, I've always thought it'd be words, like you'd have a conversation with somebody without having to open your mouth. But if you listen to David Jacobs' abductees, often they're given images, they're given pictures. And that makes sense if you think about it. You know, a picture paints a thousand words. Yep. I spent all my life as a draftsman. I've been drawing all my life. And the aliens place three images in my mind, which allows me then later on to build a perfect um, scale model of, of the craft that we saw that night. So at that point, it became clear that Bud Hopkins was right all along. I now believe it wasn't an out-of-body experience. I now believe I had three images placed in my mind during the course of the encounter. Now, the other reason why I believe that now as well is because the other three occupants of the car, my wife, my daughter, and my mother-in-law, I've not had any other experiences after the UFO. It's only myself who started having all these other experiences, not the other people. And I was trying to figure out why. And the only reason that can be is because I got the close viewing, which was due to the aliens placing images into my mind, which then has opened up some part of my mind to allow these other things to come through, which I've kept a list of with dates and I've put them all in the book because there's stuff that happened after the UFO. So that's the strange strangeness that occurred on the night. Now that sounds crazy, but I've talked you through everything that took place, so it sort of all, all made sense now. If I was to walk in a local pub and just spurt out, oh, I've had telepathy with an alien, people would think you're absolutely crazy. Yes. If you look at what took place that night, and the four of us were there, and the things that have happened since then, it all makes sense. It all falls into place now. So when I started writing the book, I've got a lot of um, people that sent triangle sightings in for me but then I started asking other people to send sightings in and I get in touch with people I'd spoke to in the past and one of the questions I asked them then was have you had any other paranormal experiences and would you believe it more than half of the people that were getting back in touch with me and had other paranormal experiences as well it wasn't just a case of seeing a UFO the only slight difference is which is a bit odd Everybody who's had these experiences, they seem to have them as a child. They see ghosts and these imaginary friends are real, like they are there. And then they, as they get older, they have ghostly experiences and other paranormal experiences. And it all culminates in seeing a, a UFO close up. Whereas for myself, it all started with the UFO and then the weird stuff came afterwards. It seems that the majority of people have weird stuff happen to them throughout life first and then a close encounter with the UFO. But... For me, for some reason, it was the other way around. It was the UFO first and then the strange things afterwards. So in my book, I've got like the 130 sightings, but one of the sections is just based on people who've had sightings, who've also had paranormal experiences. And for anybody who's had a close encounter and had the hitchhiker effect, I, I would suggest you get a copy of this book and have a read of it because it's going to make you feel a lot more comfortable with what's happened to you as I feel a bit more comfortable about what's happened to me. I know it all sounds very crazy, but I can tell you, Jesse, it's it's all true. Everything I'm, I've talked about is absolutely 100% true. I've got no reason to make any of this up. It's only attracting ridicule, if you like. But these days, it's becoming more and more uh, mainstream. In fact, did you see David Grosh when he was talking about the crash retrieval? If you listen to his um, conversation with Coulthard, he's basically saying that these crafts are dimensional. He's hinting they're not from outer space. He's, he's hinting that they're coming from another dimension running alongside our own. Right. And I know that's true. And people have had close encounters. I mean, we know it. We know where they're coming from. They're right. coming from another dimension. Yeah, it makes complete sense too, especially if you look into the 411 with David Politis, how people just disappear, yet their their material things are still here in this world, but they're gone and disappeared. Um, it's the same thing with the kind of the UFO situation too. And, and, and I had the hitchhiker effect to happen to me, um, after my sighting, I started having weird things happen to me. And that actually made me look back at my life when I was little and find out that there was weird things that happened back then that I didn't really, really think about. Um, so it's, it's crazy what a UFO sighting can open up and get and lead you on this path of, of different things that you've never really realized before. And then having that hitchhiker effect. Um, and like you said, the first thing you said to me is it's going to sound crazy. I mean, that's how we all feel because we're not used to seeing these type of things and, and having these hitchhiker effects, which are unbelievable. <laughs> they are, yeah, but I feel a lot more comfortable talking about it now than I would have done 20 years ago when it started happening. 
it was quite um quite freaky to be honest you know you're on your own like because even my family weren't having the experiences that, that i was having right and and the one at the river i mean i was just absolutely frightened to death at that at the start of it because i thought it was a big cat because you know there are big cats been released into the countryside in the uk and that's what i first thought was was coming to get me i was my game plan was to go back down the the bank to the river with this big spike i've got from my umbrella and get the cat to jump on me and impale it on its own weight right that's how that's how convinced i was it was a cat and that was my game plan to try and save my life and when he just disappeared walked in front of straight in front of me i just couldn't believe it i even started clapping my hands and shouting to see if anything would come out but i knew nothing would because the grass was only like 12 inches tall and nothing was moving no twigs right. moving nothing just four footsteps it was really weird really strange yeah, that is. It's, 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 and a lot of people say, Hey, I wish I would have a UFO encounter or I, I wouldn't be scared. But see, you don't realize when it happens to you. And, and like you said, you're by yourself, how scared you get because you're not used to seeing something that you're told is not true, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's true to say on the night, though, because people say, Weren't you scared? It was the opposite. Now it was like meeting God, even though I'm not religious. But the feeling I had when the craft materialized and I seen it rise in front of me. Like and a hundred feet away, you know, I could have hit it with a cricket ball. It was that close. Right. The, the feeling was almost of like love and an and embracement. It just, I just felt great. It just felt really at peace. It was really absolutely stunning. Like, there was right. no, well, my daughter was a bit frightened for some reason, and my wife. But me and my mother-in-law, you know, if we'd have got a chance, I reckon we would have got on board. We was that excited. Right. Yeah, that's how and I that's, felt with my sighting. But what I'm saying, my hitchhiker effect afterwards, when when i had things come and and seeing things like this like you did with the footsteps i mean that can be like a scary situation that you're not used to you know that's right i mean if it happened again i, I probably wouldn't be quite so uh, scared about it my mother-in-law unfortunately died um a couple of years ago from old age she, she did have a good old innings bless her and they were cleared out her bedroom and in the bottom of the wardrobe she's got all these newspaper cuttings all rolled up on paranormal stuff and ghosts and things which nobody that? knew about you know i've got them all now so i'm going to read them all when i retire which will be yeah. next month uh, next year okay but so she must have had some sort of encounters with ghosts or something before the ufo experience so that's what i was going to ask you i was going to say have you ever found out if your family has had encounters prior to that that you're learning about now <laughs> yeah my obviously my mother-in-law has but she's she's obviously kept it quiet um my wife's had nothing at all which is strange because she was the one who bought the Von Daniken books when we were younger. Oh, she wow. was interested in that sort of thing. But on the night, she never got to see the craft. Huh. Uh, my, da my daughter said that she has seen a ghost in the past when she was at school, uh, sitting on the stairs when she came out of the classroom, all dressed in old-fashioned clothing. And when she turned around, he'd gone. But um, but not a great, great deal. Really. It would have been lovely if I'd known my mother-in-law had had some experiences to chat to her about it, but right. unfortunately I never, never got a chance. Because we tend to see that it, it can run in, in the family line, the bloodline. It can it can be a, a, an ancestral thing where it runs in the family. Um, yeah, which is why I emphasised earlier on that there was me, my wife, my daughter, and my mother-in-law. So there were three generations of the same family in the car. Right. Because I think that can, like you say, sometimes does have a bearing on these things, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, for sure. Um, so you you found over 130 of these these um, cases in the UK of these triangle events. Um, what were some of the similarities that you found in other cases compared to yours? Anything? Yeah, that's interesting because I've gone through and I've made a list of some of them. Um, not necessarily things that are the same as mine. There's very few. I've only come across one guy recently who's seen a craft that sounds exactly the same as mine with four red lights on the back. Okay. Okay. Um, but some of the information I've gained from going through all of this, for instance, is the, we'll go through them, like the colour of the triangles. I've always assumed like that they're like dark grey or black, you know, charcoal coloured. Right. I think the majority of them are, but there are, there are reports of um, orange, silver, gold, white, blue, dark brown and green triangles in the book that people have witnessed. And the lights, you know, generally speaking, you've got three lights underneath in the corners, which are either red or white. And the one in the centre, big one in the centre, either red or or white, depending on the operation of the, the craft at the time, I guess. Right. Um, 
that other people have reported, not just red and white, but green, blue, yellow, orange, bronze, purple, pinkish, and quite often a white beam is welcoming down from that center, center light in, underneath in the middle of the craft. Now, with and, your background and, in avionics, have you ever, have you come to a conclusion or do you have any theories of what the propulsion might be? Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a weird theory. Um, when the craft materialized, when it became solid, when it decloaked, the bottom two wingtips, they got fluffy white clouds appear around them. They're beautiful looking little white clouds. It almost look like cotton wool. Now that was obviously vaporization as the craft materialized. Um, and I've got a, an image of that somewhere where I've drawn, it looks really good. But what happened was a friend of mine sent me a, a video from YouTube Boz Alamo, I think his name is, and it was about quantum levitation. And what, what, what he does, he gets a piece of metal and he puts it into liquid nitrogen and freezes it down to zero degrees Kelvin. Then he puts it into a magnetic field and it just sits there or he can send it around a track in midair. I don't know if you've seen any of these experiments that they do. But one of the things I noticed was that the piece of metal, because it was so cold, it was covered in vapour. So I've come up with this theory, I'm not saying it's true, but possibly the liquid that I could see on the surface would be something like liquid nitrogen trapped underneath a transparent skin. Now the silver beams on top of the craft, if we imagine they also protrude down through the actual skin of the craft into the liquid, these will all become supercooled. All of the beams on the surface, top and bottom, become supercooled and they become superconductors. Once you get superconductivity, you can have quantum levitation, which means uh, the craft can just hover in the Earth's magnetic field okay. without any propulsion system whatsoever. And then I guess if it puts a field against our field, it will push it forward. Um, okay. So, so that's my my theory on that that it's it's quantum levitation, and part of that is because you know I've seen the vaporization in the corners of the craft, which means the craft was extremely cold once it materialized. That's interesting. That's an interesting aspect. I've never heard that before. So it's... Now, you see a lot of reports of craft with um, refrigerator pipes running all around them. I've got a picture in the book from a friend of mine, Michael Schrack, uh, one of his drawings that he let me use, which shows a craft completely covered in pipework. Huh. Now, I surmise that these pipeworks, these refrigerator pipes you see on craft, have liquid nitrogen or something similar running through them. So the pipes themselves are becoming superconductors. Right, okay. So now we've got quantum levitation again. Right. Same, same as we've got with my triangle, except my triangle is using a slightly different theory, having the beams on top of the surface into the liquid, as opposed to the refrigerator pipes where the liquid's running around the pipe itself, around okay. the craft. So okay. I think looking at the, the pipes with the refrigeration on and the craft with girders on, I'm, I'm leaning towards the uh, quantum levitation theory. Okay. Yeah, that's something I'll have to look into. That's that's really neat. <laughs> really interesting. Yeah, um, I'll send you a link to the uh, the video if you want to have a look at it. Yeah, please do. Absolutely, it, it makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, we have about a minute left. Do you want to tell everybody about your book, uh, the name of the book, where they can find it at, where they can purchase it at? Because this is great for experiencers, for people that are interested in the subject, um, just all over the spectrum. So please, yeah, uh, let us know. It's a great great reference book, and for anybody who's had an experience, it's it's comforting as well it's called triangular ufos of the united kingdom by colin saunders it's available on amazon as um, a hardback paperback audiobook and kindle there's 130 different sightings in there and they're all from the uk and uh, they're all slightly different as well but also there's my own encounter in detail plus the uh, the paranormal side of of the ufos which i'm sure people will be interested in Absolutely. And I made the episode art the front page of your book so everybody can get the so know, remember the name and then know what to look for. And I'll make sure I put that in the description of the episode so everybody can get that information for you. Um, but I want to thank you for coming on today and sharing this information with us. This was a whole different look at triangle UFOs that we've never seen before or information that we've had on the show before. So very interesting stuff, Colin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, believe me, it's true. These are these are not man-made craft these are from another dimension yeah it makes sense and then that cooling aspect man that, that's that's really cool uh something that definitely interested in so 
Um, but yeah, thank you for coming on again today and sharing. Um, definitely recommend your book. I'm definitely going to have to go and take a look myself uh, with this new new aspects of the triangle UFO. Um, so yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep in touch. And um, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to today's episode, number 101. Um, if you want any of the information from Colin's book, it will be in the description of the episode below. And please go and check out our sponsor, uh, Kevin J. Briggs, author and experiencer. His book is over at our website, Spiritual Consciousness, A Personal Journey. You can go see that at our website and also our new events section on the website as well. There's new events coming up. Uh, it's a UFO encounters worldwide.wordpress.com. And I want to thank everybody for tuning into today's episode. And until next time, remember to keep your eyes in the sky. Well, I want to thank Colin for coming on today and sharing his information of his close encounter back in 1999 with his family. Uh, it was an amazing encounter, great information, as well as his research and his book with over 130 triangular cases over in the UK that were similar to his back in 1999. So I want to thank Colin for coming on today and sharing that information with us. Go ahead and check out his book. Um, it's got a lot of great information in it, so I highly recommend you go and do that. Um, you can go and find it over at Amazon um, where you can reach out to him personally. Um, next week, we are going to have a mystery guest, um, so we'll see who comes on next week. That should be fun. Um, and make sure you go and check out our sponsor, um, author and experiencer Kevin J. Briggs. His book is now the number one bestseller at BA BMK Publishing. Um, it's called Spiritual Consciousness, A Personal Journey. You can also get the information for the book over our website at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. And if you guys are interested in some new events that are coming up within September and October, go check out our website. There's an event section over there. Um, you know, uh, there's one called the Taconi uh, Band Day. Um, there's also the Apple Fest. Um, just cool stuff that you can do with the family or friends or get together. There's going to be beer gardens and etc. Um, so you can find that information over at our website. We'll be updating with new uh, events that will be coming up as well. Um, so go ahead and check that out again. That's ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in to our episode 101 today of UFO Encounters Worldwide. And until next time, remember to keep your eyes in the sky. Thank you.